Welcome to the Rochester Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. We believe that there is no message more life-changing and more relevant than the gospel. It is our earnest prayer that you will be enriched as a disciple and that you will hear the good news today. Good morning, and welcome to Palm Sunday. Christians around the world make it a priority to celebrate over this next week, the last week of Jesus' life. From his entry into Jerusalem, which we'll study today, to Jesus' washing his disciples' feet, sharing the Last Supper, to his arrest and his trial, to his crucifixion and his burial, and then culminating, we'll celebrate next Sunday his resurrection. And this year, as we at Rochester Church uh, join this celebration, we'll have several different um, worship gatherings designed to help us into closer communion with our Lord who lived, died, and was raised for us all. And so as you and your household are able, I am going to invite you to join us at the following gatherings as we worship together. This coming Wednesday, we're going to have our Holy Wednesday worship, and it will be in the Youth Center, and it'll be, down, it'll be downstairs at 7 p.m. on Wednesday. We normally have our midweek Bible study at that time. We'll be worshiping together. We'll have the band, and we look forward to that. On Monday, Thursday, which wasn't Monday, Thursday, I promise, that is Thursday with the word Mondi in front of it, which comes from the Latin word mandatum, mandatum, which means command. And it comes from John 13, 34, a new command I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Um, and it's the statement that Jesus makes as he washes his disciples' feet in John 13. And so we're going to share together in a foot washing service um, Thursday. That'll be 7 p.m., but it's going to be happening right here in the auditorium. Uh, and then on Good Friday, we'll gather together for our annual Tenebrae service, um, and that will also be 7 p.m. here in the auditorium. So, so far, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, all at what time? 7 p.m. You're listening, and I'm proud of you. Um, you're doing well. On Holy Saturday, um, this is the day that Jesus spent in the tomb, the full day. And on, on Holy Saturday, we're going to join together as a community for a memorial service. And we're going to remember those that have passed on in this previous year. And so uh, it's a communal lament service, and this special prayer service is going to feature a beautiful candlelit memorial and an open time of prayer. Uh, and that'll take place on Saturday at 7 p.m. here in the auditorium. We don't want this to be too confusing. So Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday at 7 p.m. Guess what time Easter Sunday service is? That's right, 10 a.m. <laughs> Not 7 p.m. Um, so, uh, we'll culminate that with a celebratory worship Sunday, 10 a.m., uh, and as usual on Easter, we will not have Bible classes to follow. 
Okay, so that sounded like five services, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That's a lot of church, preacher. I get that. Um, and, and, and here's the deal. I want to emphasize what I said before, that as you and your household are able to join us, we invite you to join us. We don't want anyone to feel like they have to be at everything. We don't want to motivate anyone with guilt. Okay, you're not going to earn anything more. If, you, if it, when asked what you contribute to your salvation, your answer is uh, sin and resistance. Um, and, and, and God provided everything else. And so, so uh, this is not a way to earn extra credit or anything like that. However... Uh, because we do not want to like shame people into going. This is not guilting people into going. This is an opportunity uh, simply as you have the desire to join us and, and to invite your neighbors uh, to celebrate this special season uh, as we remember Christ and as we celebrate his victory over death. Now all throughout Holy Week, as we reflect on the last week of Jesus' life, we're going, to continue, we're going to be continuing our exploration through the Gospel of Mark. Because Mark's Gospel takes a turn today that is pretty significant as Jesus comes to Jerusalem. And so let's, let's stand, if you will, in honor of the Word of God and let's reverence it as we read together from Mark chapter 11 from this passage about the, the, the entry of Jesus as King. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway, and as they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus, they threw their cloaks over it. He sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. And those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming king of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven! Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we celebrate the presence of your Son, Jesus. We want to make way for him and make space for him and give honor to him. But God, forgive us when we try to force him into being and behaving the way that we think he ought to behave. God, help us to accept your son on his terms and submit ourselves to your will. Father, we are yours, and we ask that you speak now, for your children are listening. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. The Lord needs it. Two 
two disciples are sent to find a colt that hasn't been ridden. And, 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 and maybe it's that Jesus has made some plans beforehand that they're not aware of. And he says, hey, why don't you go and talk to the folks? And, and he's got this whole plan worked out. But that doesn't seem to really be the point. The point doesn't seem to be that Jesus has made a plan. The point seems to be that Jesus knows what's going to happen. Because that's what he's been saying the whole time. If you remember, for three times now he's already told them, okay, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and this is what's going to happen. So now as they approach Jerusalem, he's telling them, go and get me this. It'll be there. Trust me, I know what's going to happen. They're going to ask you, why are you doing that? You just tell them the Lord needs it and they'll give it to you. And so they show up, they say the Lord needs it, and all of a sudden, they give it to them. Jesus knows what's coming. Now, Jesus in this text makes some really important choices that are pretty noteworthy. Because they signal that something important is taking place. Something that changes the pattern, changes the ordinary. There's something extraordinary happening in this text. Because first off... Jesus chooses to ride in. Now that's important because everywhere else Jesus has gone, he's walked. He's less than two miles from Jerusalem at this point. Okay, and for a walking world, that is not a far distance. He is right on the doorstep of where he's supposed to be going. And now, even though he's walked every other place, he now chooses to ride. Now, even when he had a boat, y'all remember me talking to you about the boat. Mark keeps mentioning the boat. He had a boat. Even when he had a boat, he would walk. He would send the disciples ahead and he either walked around the lake or on the lake, however. And, and, And it was just a walking exercise. My man walked wherever he went and now he chooses to ride. And, and if you look at it, something special is happening because he's got not just a ride, he's got like a flash mob. And he's got like a cheer squad. He's got a parade. There is nothing subtle happening right here. And for someone who spent the previous 10 chapters not wanting attention, that everyone he heals, he says, don't tell anyone what happened. All the demons that are shouting who he is, he says, silence. Don't say another word. When he heals someone, he says, don't even worry about going back to your home. For someone who's, who's been working kind of in the, in, the, in the shadows or in the periphery or trying to keep things silent and failing because word is spreading everywhere, but, but as someone who has been telling people not to tell, here is this big act that kind of comes as a complete shock and it makes me start to think as I'm reading it, oh man, now things are about to happen. The movie up to this point has been building and picking up some steam, but now we have gotten to the best part of the show. Here's the climax of the story, and I'm excited to see what happens next. And then there's what he chooses to ride on. Jesus enters not on a chariot with white horses, the way that conquering generals would. He doesn't enter with a procession of captured and defeated foes. 
He doesn't enter carrying behind him a train of spoils from war. I want to be clear. Despite what we've called it, this is not a very triumphal entry. This is a very humble entry. This image of Jesus riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey, is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9 where he says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is a very humble entry. And in the joyful enthusiasm of the parade and the shouts of the admirers, we're tempted to be swept up in the revelry. And we may miss the point that Mark is actually trying to communicate. You see, like like those in the crowd here on the road, we may start to hope with this kind of reception that Jesus may have been mistaken in his comments about how it was going to go down when he got to Jerusalem. He always said, I'm going to go there. They're going to arrest me. They're going to beat me. They're going to reject me. They're going to kill me. But now we look at this reception and maybe we're tempted to say, look, Jesus, this is a lot better reception than you said you were going to get. This is what we were telling you. The people love you. Now the parade happens in Bethany, which is significant. Bethany, just two miles outside of Jerusalem. This is the place where we find out in John chapter 11 that Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. So it's no surprise that the folks in Bethany who have seen what God has done, take to the streets, shouting and proclaiming praise to God's Messiah because they've seen the heart of the gospel made manifest. They have watched life conquer death. These people have seen the full display of the power of God's resurrection and they can't contain themselves. Now, in other versions of this story, in the other Gospels, the Pharisees and the religious officials in Jerusalem who haven't seen these things are going to come out and try and stop the party. Don't you worry about that. But those who know better, because they've seen God's deliverance and they've seen God's victory, cannot withhold their worship. I wish I had a witness or two. (laughs) Because I don't know about you, but I have an address in Bethany. I have seen resurrection and experienced newness of life. When I didn't think there was hope for me, I was saved. And I've watched too many lives be given victory and freedom for me to contain my praise. I praise him for who he is because I know him myself. I have seen his glory and so I lift my voice because every promise that God makes, God keeps. 
Because all the promises of God are yes and amen, 2 Corinthians 1.20. And if God said it, I will stand on it and I will trust it because I know he's going to do what he says he'll do. And this is why I preach the Bible. Because I believe it. Because the Bible says that weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Because the Bible says that my God will supply all my needs according to the riches that he has in glory in Christ Jesus. And it says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I'm standing on these promises because when the end of the story comes, I'm going to be victorious. Don't give up if you're waiting because you shall reap in due season if you keep the faith. And they that wait upon the Lord will rise on eagles' wings. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not grow faint. And those who humble themselves will be lifted up. You're pretty quiet out there. But I can't help but offer God my praise. Maybe I got the folks at home shouting a little bit. You see, the people who are with him start making noise because they know who he is. They know what he can do. And praise is pleasing to the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. You see, worship without praise is incomplete. We wouldn't honor worship to God that never engaged our mind. If you, weren't, if you weren't called to engage your mind in your worship, I don't want any part of it. I don't want us to just be emotions out of control. We wouldn't, we wouldn't tolerate that. We wouldn't say, yeah, that's what we want. We want worship that doesn't engage your mind. But brothers and sisters, sometimes we seem very fine with worship that never engages our passion and our spirit. Okay, Adam, I get it. But that's not the way I worship. That's not, that's not how I worship. And I, I hear you. But it's not your worship. If it was yours, you could offer it however you wanted. But it's not yours. And Palm Sunday is a loud Sunday. Because you know who Jesus is. Now from the other perspective, Jesus... Okay, I think that deep down all of us want to be appreciated. I really do. And at this moment... Jesus has had a pretty mixed reception. You see, his ministry, if you ask the critics, if you ask the experts, they're not fans. The critics are giving, the experts are giving his, his, his ministry a pretty low score. Okay, the Rotten Tomatoes score is really low on this. <laughs> They're, they're, they're not big fans at all. Born in kind of a shabby situation. Coming from Nazareth where no good thing can come from. 
choosing a group of ragtag fishermen, tax collectors, and a zealot as his closest disciples, limiting the majority of his ministry to the economically depressed areas of Galilee, regularly criticized and discredited by the Pharisees, and twice folks have already tried to kill him. But other folks, namely the common folks, love him. He stands up to the people that hold them down. He want, his wonders and his signs, his healings and his miracles are almost always done in ways that benefit the have-nots. He teaches in ways that they can understand and in ways that invite them in rather than push them away. He is accessible. He is real. He is kind-hearted. And now he rides a donkey into town and he's the man of the hour. And the crowd goes wild and they shout praises to him. And Jesus pretty much ignores it. Which is something I'm not sure I could do. If my ministry was being panned by the important people and after a series of tough exchanges with my opponents had left me tired, all of a sudden if folks somewhere start applauding me, I don't know if I could ignore it. I might make a big deal of it. I'll probably take my phone out of my pocket. And <laughs> right? I, 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 I need evidence. And Jesus uses this moment instead to teach us a really important thing about who he is and what his kingdom is all about because the affirmation of people can never replace the calling of God. And the fact that people clap for it or the fact that people cheer it on and approve it or applaud it, it doesn't mean that God has ordained it. You can get all the likes you want on a post and it doesn't mean it's honored God. Now I know this looks like a real party, but there's something else happening in the streets of Bethany as they praise Jesus that is noteworthy. It's, 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 it's something that's a little less about who God is and a little more about who the crowd wants God to be. I know, I know this sounds unbelievable. But sometimes we can let our worship be infected and taken over by our own agendas. I know, it's unthinkable. You see, the people shouting Hosanna and pronouncing blessings on the one who comes in the name of King David are not just throwing out lines from Psalm 118 because they think it'll make for a great Sunday before Easter in a couple thousand years. They're actually making subversive political statements. You see, in the Roman era, palm branches were secretly used as a sign of military rebellion because they're shaped like spears. And so the people who are oppressed are grabbing spears and walking out to the street and screaming out Hosanna, which literally means save me now. Their discussion of David has the nationalistic overtones of a military deliverer. You see, they're excited for Jesus to come near because they're excited for him to finally overthrow Roman occupation. 
They're calling for Jesus to save them from Rome. And they're not wrong about Jesus' task of salvation. But their understanding of what salvation is, is too small. It's too low. It's less than what God wants to offer them. And I've quoted this at you for 13, and a half, 13 years now. C.S. Lewis, our problem is not that we want so much, it's that we're satisfied with so little. What they want from God is so much less than what God is trying to do for them. Jesus is not seeking human approval, but divine approval. He knows what God wants from him, and he's not distracted by their agendas. You see, they want Jesus, but they want him on their terms. They want Jesus, but they want him to have their political aspirations. They want him to feel about the government the way they feel about the government. Amen. I'll take it. It's just like God says he wants a cheerful giver. I'll take givers of any kind. I've got a lower bar. I'll take... Sometimes we come to God and we have our own agendas and our motives, but thank God we at least came to him. Because here's the thing that God does. God's going to change something. You see, they want Jesus, but they want him on their own terms. Here's the good news. They're going to get Jesus. But not on their own terms. Because he loves you just as you are, he'll be with you. But because he loves you, he's not going to let you stay just the way you are. So he's going to come with his own terms and his own mission. And we shouldn't be surprised that many of those who are shouting and singing his praises um, on this day are in the crowds hissing and calling for his death on the next day. I'll tell you what I've noticed. You know who the most compliant one in the story is? The donkey. <laughs> Think think about it for a second. This is a donkey upon which no one has ever sat. Wasn't that the rules? No one's ever ridden it. Go get me that one. So here is this donkey, untrained, unexpected, unqualified, but chosen by God for this purpose. Chosen by God for this moment. And for just this moment, the luckiest donkey in the world held the king. And in the middle of a parade, didn't lose it. It's like he knows what he's doing. Mark, on the other hand, might not. Because did you read the way it ended? And Jalen, go ahead and bring your team up. This is Mark 11, 11. Here we are on the edge of our seats. 
holding our breath as we watch the the fire creep down the fuse towards the powder keg that is the gospel of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus has been building up this moment for the entire story and that he's going to go to Jerusalem and then it's all going to break loose. And, And we get there and just now he's entering Jerusalem as the crowd reaches a fever pitch. Save us, save us, save us. Jesus entered Jerusalem, went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out what you built it up for that Mark you want to talk about swing and miss you want to talk about your all time whiffs that was a meatball straight down the middle of the plate and you missed it by a mile You got us excited about Jesus and then gave us no payoff. This was the big moment. As a matter of fact, we're going to refer to this as the triumphal entry, Mark. But maybe Mark knows what he's doing. Because he refuses to give us Jesus on our own terms. Maybe this is all part of the plan to teach us not to confuse our expectations and desires with God's plan and purpose. In this moment, God is still teaching us who He is. Will we listen? Will we learn? You see, He enters as the King of Kings even though it doesn't look the way we think it should. He shows the world what it means to be the Messiah. He doesn't wear a crown of gold or a crown of laurels, but he's going to wear a crown of thorns. Behold, his glory. Whereas generals would rejoice over their conquests, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. Behold his power. He doesn't offer sacrifices at the temple. He enters it, denounces it, and then becomes the sacrifice. Behold, his victory. We sincerely thank you for listening and pray that you were blessed today. To learn more about Rochester Church of Christ, to support our ministry, or to contact us with any prayer needs you may have, head over to www.rochestercoc.org. Remember, you are loved and chosen.